Turn with me, if you will, to Colossians chapter 1, beginning to read at verse 9. Beginning to read then with verse 9, we'll read through verse um, 18. For this reason we also, since the day we heard it, do not cease to pray for you, and to ask that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all wisdom and spiritual understanding, that you may walk worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing him, being fruitful in every good work, and increasing in the knowledge of God, strengthened with all might, according to his glorious power, for all patience and long-suffering with joy. Give thank, giving thanks to the Father, who has qualified us to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in the light. He has delivered us from the power of darkness and conveyed us into the kingdom of the Son of his love, in whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For by him all things were created that are in heaven and on are on earth, visible and invisible, whether throng, thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things consist. And he is the head of the body of the church, who is the beginning and the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he may have the preeminence. May the Lord bless this reading to our good understanding this morning. Now we have a, a sermon outline in the underneath the uh, order of service there. Uh, I've, I've geared it to the verses. The main idea of the sermon is the idea of the preeminence of Christ. I want you to leave the, the sermon service today happy with the idea of the preeminence of Christ. And I'm hoping that, that the idea of the preeminence of Christ will fill your mind, that it will be a pregnant idea. Uh, so I don't want you to get lost in the, in the shuffle here of these different verses, and, and, but because they, in some way they all contribute to this, this idea of our understanding the preeminence of Christ. There are a few key verses in this, like, the, like verse 17, the end of verse 17 and in him all things consist. Before that, all things create were created through him and for him. These are key verses in the scripture about which whole books could be written. We have been studying, we've been working in the Old Testament, in the, the books of Samuel, uh, dealing with the narrative of David and his life and his kingdom and that kind of thing. And in the Old Testament, with these narratives like this, these stories, it just seems like everything is spread out. And you, you deal with a story, and you, you get a, a thought here and a thought there, or an application here and there. And it's, it's, in a sense, it's so easy on the brain, because you don't have, uh, it, your brain is not bombarded with different ideas. Here in the Pauline epistles, it's like superfood. It's like concentrated stuff. And uh, you have to be careful that you don't become frustrated by all the ideas that Paul puts forth. But this is in the providence of God. You see, God gave God gives us different scriptures for different reasons. And um, some say he gives us different brains, too. And some brains deal better with the historical proportions. Some brains are invigorated by looking at 
letters like Paul, and, and he just it, to, to read a Pauline epistle, you have to you're constantly crisscrossing words from here and this sentence to that sentence to the the how he develops these ideas. Uh, and so this is a very this is in some in some senses the Greek is very complex here. Some senses it's very complex, but behind it all the, the idea is pretty simple. That is that Paul is lifting up the preeminence of Jesus Christ and. As we get this straight in our own on our own lives, it adds all kinds of dimensions to us. Um, the children here in the congregation today, you have the kind of parents and grandparents you have because they have grasped something of the preeminence of Jesus Christ. The reason that they fix you meals every day, the reason they long suffer with you, the, the reason that they uh, pray for you and are so dedicated to you, is not because of the innate goodness of their hearts. It's because their hearts have been arrested by the preeminence of Jesus Christ. So this idea of the preeminence of Christ has tremendous applicability throughout our lives. And I would say, I would make a contrast between uh, the Christians that I know, the Christian families that I know, and the world that I observe out there today. And I would say it's because of the absence of this out there in the world, it's because of the absence of this that we have such trouble and we have such confusion out there in the world. Um, who would have thought? I mean, I keep coming back to this illustration, but it just lends itself so much to uh, this kind of application. Who would have thought some years ago that it would be a big debate of, of whether the boys go in the boys' room or the girls go in the girls' room? I mean, really, it's such a basic kind of a thing. Or whether we are boys or whether we are girls. I mean, it's, 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 it becomes terrible in the sense that based on some of, these, some of the adult confusion in our society, they're actually demasculating boys and operating in girls and trying to change them sexually when they're only five, six, seven years old. And then some of these children are getting to be 17 and 18 years old, and they're, they're, they're having all of these psychological problems, and they're asking themselves, they're asking their parents and then the doctors that advised them, why in the world did you ever go in this direction? Why did you not just let me develop as I was and deal with me later? Why, why, were you, why did you have to hurry and, uh, and ruin me physically because of your various theologies? Well, you see, if you have no north star, if you have no magnetic north on your compass, then the dial just spins around and around and around. People have no idea how confused things are today. But in the Church of Jesus Christ, we have a value system that begins, and from our perspective, it begins and ends with the Lord Jesus Christ because he is the great messenger from the triune God who has entered into this world to be our great prophet, priest, and king to help us to understand ourselves and to help us to know where which way is up and which way is down, what is hot and what is cold. Beware, the Bible says, when people call uh, things hot, cold, and cold, hot, the things that are good, evil, and the things that are evil, good. Beware of these things. But that's where we are today because people do not understand they, 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 they just don't, they don't take uh, God's word that these things are relatively simple if we take the Lord into our lives and if we accept 
our Lord Jesus Christ as a preeminent. Now, I, I read a lot of things. I, I, I'm in on a lot of pretty um, highbrow discussions, intellectual discussions. But I'm always asking, as I listen to these different people talk, make their arguments, I, I always ask myself, what does this person think of Jesus Christ? It's a simple question. What does it? Because if he's mixed up on Christ, I know he's going to be mis, mixed up in his life. He might not. He might be the greatest uh, medical doctor in the world. He might be able to cure hundreds and thousands. But if he if he's confused about Christ, he's going to have great confusion in his life. He may do medicine well, but he may lose his whole family because of his confusion of heart, his inability to disciple his family lead them in the way everlasting. So this, these scriptures are very, very important. And I want you to, to, to look at them um, with that in mind. Um, first of all, we begin with verse 9. And it's, it's kind of odd, given the theoretical or theological nature of this text, it's very odd that it begins with prayer. For this reason, we also, since the day we heard it, do not cease to pray for you, and to ask that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will and all wisdom and uh, spiritual understanding. Why does this why does this portion on the preeminence of Christ begin with the Pauline prayer? He he's lifting them up, he's praying for them. Now remember by my introduction, we remember that Colossae was a pagan city in Asia Minor, southern south south central Turkey today. But why was why was Paul lifting this region up, this city of Colossae? Why was he lifting them up in prayer in the midst of this grand discussion that he's having about the preeminence of Jesus Christ? Well, it's obvious. This doesn't come easy for people. This doesn't come naturally to people. Even as he even as he tells them about these things, he lifts them up because he knows that these things are not a part of the fleshly mind. Not, they don't come naturally to the natural man. The man was born in sin. For people to appreciate the, the preeminence of Jesus Christ, they must be slain by the Spirit. They must have a spiritual uh, understanding that, is, that, is, uh, that revolutionizes their minds and their hearts. And so Paul begins with prayer. That's a wonderful reminder to us. Um, the obvious is not so obvious because of the fall. The fall has affected mankind in a way that we cannot begin to comprehend. If we become Christians and we live throughout our lives as Christian people, toward the end of our lives, as we look back, we may have a better understanding of the iniquity of sin and the confusion of it. But especially at the beginning, we hardly know which way to go. But Jesus gives us this promise. You don't need to understand everything right away. But if you bow your knee to me and come to me, all ye who are weary and heavy laden, I will give you rest. It's a very simple thing. Who do you trust? Uh, you can have a vision of Christ in your mind, and then you can have other visions of the world, of science, of great teachers, great personalities, people of great assemblage like Winston Churchill, this kind of thing. So who do you trust? Where do you incline yourself? Christ says, come to me. 
and I will put things together for you. If we come to him like little children, in that sense, we find that he is good to his promises, true to his promises. If we go anywhere else, to any other Lord, if we try to find, if we try to make sense of life by seeking out and developing human love, the love of a woman or the love of a man, even a family which is good, if we try to make our families our gods, we will not succeed. We may do a little bit better than the next door neighbor, but we won't really be enthusiastic about life. But if we come to Christ and, uh, and speak with him, we find that he never fails us. We turn to his word. We find his word growing in our hearts and our minds every day of our lives. So this comes by prayer. This comes by prayer. It's not a simple thing. <clears throat> Um, in verse 11, Paul addresses the, for the, the, uh, the uh, results of this, which is, uh, again, a little bit ironic, because um, he says uh, that we'll have fruitful works in verse 10, increasing in the knowledge of God, strengthened with all might, according to his glorious power, for all patience and long-suffering with joy. So the results of the, if we do come to Christ, if we do find Christ preeminent in our lives, the great end will be uh, patience and long-suffering in this world. Why would that be? Well, God has his own timetable. He is Lord. And just because we become Christians doesn't mean that he's going to usher in the kingdom of God for us so that we won't have to deal with the difficulties of this world. And so when we become believers, one of the great um, spiritual benefits that we have is that he, he gives us an, a patience, an ability to be patient and long-suffering in the world in which we are. Our, our great complaint here in South, uh, Southwest Ohio is that things aren't moving along a little faster, that we're not growing a little faster, that we, we, well, why do we not have thousands coming to our church, and why, why do all the counterfeits have, you know... <laughs> multitudes running in their direction. Well, uh, God wants us to be patient. He wants us to continue, maintain our faith in him, our trust in him. And he wants us to do the things that he's told us to do. And he says, he makes this promise to us that in the end, uh, our labors will not be in vain, 1 Corinthians. Our labors will not be in vain, but will be um, uh, magnificent. And uh, they call us to being steadfast and immovable in Jesus Christ because of the significance of his works in the end. And so um, when we turn to Christ and the preeminence of Christ, things will not, he doesn't promise us an easy way, um, but he does promise us real results. And, and um, we can even enjoy these things somewhat with, with Christian patience and long-suffering. And you have that kind of a world, you have that kind of mentality about yourself if you grow in Christ. You realize that God is doing what he wants to do. God is doing whatsoever he wants to do. You're in the midst of that flux, and you can look out and you can see people doing crazy things. I, I, they, I think, I've, I've just been amazed. Uh, we've been in politically tumultuous times in the last uh, dozen years or so. And it just amazes me that the 
most of the people in Washington D.C. don't have mental breakdowns because they're they are they're, 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 every day is a new controversy. They, you know, the different sides are always on on each other, and there's a good reason for it. I'm not saying it's not it's a total vanity. I'm because I'm I'm rooting for one of those sides, but at the same time. It, it, it's amazing. I mean, I, I've got more than I can do in my life just to deal with my wife and, and my, my grandchildren and my uh, my wayward sons. <laughs> uh, as one of them sits in the front row here, no, they're, they're, they're a delight to me. But, uh, but I've got more than enough to, in just my physical body, you know, the things that are going right, the things that are going wrong. I don't know how, I, I, I just marvel at these fellows that are able to uh, live their whole lives before the camera, the TV cameras, and um, they they keep talking. Now they never, they never, most of them never seem to say all that much, but they their mouths keep moving, and they're definitely producing a lot of busyness uh, out there in the world. But uh, in the midst of this, it's good to be patient and long suffering, to have a higher goal, to see that there are greater values at work here, that there is one who came as a babe, who lived and died and was uh, uh, rose again from the dead, ascended unto the right hand of God the Father, and is, is ruling now. And if we, if we give ourselves over to him, it really helps us to, to grasp, um, to, grasp uh, to get meaning to life and to, to keep going. Now, verse 12, uh, I'm not going to deal with it greatly here, but he makes reference again to the Father. I've made in, uh, already in verse um, 3, verse 1, 3, he refer refers to the Trinity, to the Father. And it's obvious here that God wants us to always have a sense about us as we're going through the twists and the turns of life. He wants us to have um, confidence that our life is not driven by chance or by luck or something like that. Our life is not, there's, there's not some chaotic power of nonsense behind the whole world, but it's a, a, a friendly power uh, who, who uh, reveals himself as father. And so uh, the idea of a father is one who is dependable, who loves his children, who cares. And so... This is woven into the, the, our theology and indeed the very nature of God. God by, uh, God by nature, he has these different attributes, but he's also Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. And so Paul refers to that in, um, in, this, uh, in verse 12, um, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified us to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in the light, see, he wants us to just—he wants us to recline into that idea of the fatherhood of God. He wants us to to have confidence in Him and peace that He will take care of us. And then um, and that that uh, transitions into the work of the Son in verse thirteen, because he said, "He that is the Father has delivered us from the power of darkness and conveyed us into the kingdom of the Son of His love." He speaks of Jesus as the son of his love, in whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of, of, uh, of sins. And so from the father, he goes to the son. He wants us to, to see that he wants us to see there's a connection within the, the deity itself with, with the way we're being ruled. 
the way we're being take, taken care of. And then, in verse 13, as he deals with Christ, he deals with the idea of the kingdom of Christ. He's delivered us from the power of darkness and conveyed us into the kingdom of his Son, the Son of his love. So, uh, as we learn about the preeminence of Christ, we see that there is a, a kingdom that has been started. Now, we know in the Old Testament he started a kingdom, a physical kingdom, uh, that related to one nation, Israel. He's enlarged that kingdom. He wants us to do. He wants us to to take that Old Testament kingdom idea and take it and, and just embellish it with even more power and more endowments in the New Testament kingdom, because that which he did with Israel in the Old Testament, he's going to do with the whole world in the New Testament. And just as the Old Testament kingdom worked in stops and starts and leaps and fallbacks. So his New Testament kingdom is going to do that same thing. So here we are today. We're, st we're suffering. We're dealing with all kinds of uh, crazy stuff in this world. You know, our, our government tells us on one hand that we have to get it together. We have to, uh, we have to do this and that in order to defeat this COVID. At the very same time, they're letting in thousands of people every week on the southern border who have COVID. Uh, why are they not as enterprising uh, with them as they are with us? But you see, this is part of the craziness. People hardly know what they're doing. They don't know which bathroom to go to. And we think we we uh, we we think that they are really sophisticated thinkers and um, really know what they're doing. And it's kind of a wake up call for many of us when we realize that. There's a lot of ways in which they don't have don't know what they're doing. There's a lot of ways in which people are, are, that really have the power are not very smart at all. And that, uh, and that many of us would do a better job. We say, oh, I couldn't possibly do a better job than they're doing. <laughs> Believe me, you could. You may not think you could, but you could because you know something about the Lord and you know something about goodness and you, you, at least you're, you have a humility about yourselves. That many of these people don't, and so, uh, but 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 Jesus is—he uh, came to this world not just to make a big display, but he came to institute a kingdom. And as soon as you, as soon as you understand that, then you you have a an order about your life where your your life started somewhere and it's going somewhere, and you realize that your life is interwoven with the kingdom, which is which has this ongoing evolutionary purpose according to the mind of God. And so you have, if I use a couple of fancy words, you have a, a teleology and an eschatology to your life that the average person just doesn't have. Whenever I hear somebody say, you know, I'm out, you're out at the grocery store and you hear somebody say, well, that was lucky, you know, you, you know right away that they have no sense that their lives are on a developmental angle, that Christ's kingdom is on a developmental angle, and when the kingdom is fully here, they will have no idea how it came or where, or where their old lives went uh, because they have nothing to do with the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, from that, Paul then makes this final argument in verse 17 and 18 about how important Christ is. The same one that was crucified the same one who had brothers and sisters, the same one who was discounted and overlooked. 
He say, he makes these astounding statements about him. He says in verse 16, all that well in the first verse uh, earlier in verse 16, for by him all things were created that are, that are in heaven and on earth. That reminds us of John 1 and Genesis 1, doesn't it? By him all things were created who or, that are created. Uh, and Paul goes on to say, the visible and invisible, whether thrones of a dominion or principalities or power. This is where the Pauline mind just kind of explodes with theoretical ideas that encapsulate the whole of everything that we know. For by him, by, by this Jesus, all things were created that are in the heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or principalities or powers. All things, he repeats it again, all things were created through him and for him. They are created through him. He is the eternal Logos, which at the beginning of the creation, God spoke his, his, voice, his voice, his words, and through his speech, all things came to power that are. The, the modern politician thinks that he has the same fiat power as God. He doesn't. God is God, and we are his creation. God has the power to bring things to pass by his words. Not the liberal politician. The liberal politician, he speaks, he foments, he rants, he raves, and sometimes things go backwards. They go in the opposite direction of his words. But God, in his word, when he speaks, and so this Jesus, the eternal Logos, he came in the flesh, but he was eternal with God. He was God, and through him all things were brought to pass that are. Think of John 1, you know, that in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. Well, the Word was God, the Word was with God. And uh, without him, nothing was made that was made. And uh, verse 17, it says, And he is before all things, and in the way of preeminence. And in him, all things consist. It's an amazing statement. In him, all things consist. This, while the, while the Bible is not a book on physics, you know, physics is the science of how the elemental things of this world work, how the elemental powers work, like magnetism the magnetism of the atomic structure, these kinds of things. And yet, when we, when we plumb the depths of physics, we always ask one more question. Whatever we understand, we say, well, what's behind that? What's behind that? You know, when we, when we understand magnetism, we say, well, how, how, does, how, does, how, how is there what we call polarity to the subatomic particles that then they cohere together? And the Bible here says that in him, all things cohere or stick together or consist. It's really an amazing transition or uh, cross-reference between the world of theology, the existence of God, and the world of physics and physical reality. But Colossians tells us that in him all things uh, consist. And then it says in verse 18, He is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in him that in all things he might have the preeminence. Now this is from God's lips. God is saying here that no matter what you think of Jesus Christ, you don't think enough. <laughs> you don't understand enough. Because he is absolutely preeminent. When you think of anything, you want to think how it points to Christ and how Christ points back to its efficacy, how it works, and that kind of thing. 
The simple Jesus that allowed himself to be slapped by the Roman soldiers and have a crown of thorns pushed down upon his brow so that the blood fell upon his body. He was Lord of Lords, God of Gods. And after going through the redemption for his people, he rose again from the dead. And even now sits at the right hand of God the Father. These are things which are beyond us. We can't totally uh, understand the depths of Trinitarianism, the depths of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. We can understand what God told us in the Word, but we have we can have questions that go beyond that. But Jesus is totally magnificent, and in terms of this world, he is the head of the of the body, the church who is the beginning of the firstborn from the dead, and in all things, that he may, that he may have uh, the preeminence of all things. It's a very huge question what people think of Jesus Christ. Who do you think of Jesus Christ? What do you think of Jesus Christ? It's a huge question. One answer means that you have spiritual understanding, that the Holy Spirit is helping you, the other answer is that you are utterly lost and, and in control of your own darkened mind. Without hope, the Bible says. Without hope. Praise be to God that he has hope, that he will give you Christ when you don't want Christ, when you have no understanding of Christ, when you have no knowledge of Christ. He will affect you spiritually, and that's hinted at in a number of passages here in this this paragraph, he'll give you the spiritual understanding to grasp Christ and then to begin to make sense of the world which he made and which he is taking home to himself. <clears throat> so when we see that Christ is preeminent in all things, then we realize that man is not the measure of all things. That was one of the definitions of humanism in the Renaissance. Man is the measure of all things. Well, man is not the measure of all things. Man is an idiot apart from God. And if Christ is preeminent and people won't have Christ, then they're idiots too. They, they may understand so many things. They may, they may be much more intelligent than you and I. Their, their IQs may be double ours, but if they will not have Christ... Their logic and their knowledge, their discriminations of mind are indiscriminate and, uh, and failure-prone. Fa failure but if they choose Christ, uh, then their lives can be put together. I was listening recently to a, um, a, a histo military historian about World War II, and his particular area of study was the German high command, the generals. In between the years of 1944 and 1945, and he's arguing in the in the in those years that the war was lost, and that they knew it, and that they just didn't know what to do about it. Uh, you know, they had the they had the German generals jail cells in Russia, uh, all bugged, and so they would get the, these generals would get together and they'd have these. Bull sessions, and, and they'd, they'd be, uh, you know, talking to each other. Sometimes they'd get mad at each other and fight. You know, why didn't you do this? Why didn't you do that? You know, they, you, you were the problem of the Battle of the Bulge, that sort of thing. And, uh, <clears throat> and so we know, we, uh, they didn't know they were bugged. 
and all their conversations. So we know a lot about their thinking back then. And you know, the, the, biggest, um, the biggest problem that they had overall was that they were victims of groupthink. They just, they, they had this mentality about themselves um, from war college and from their upbringings. Most of them were not Christians. You know, they had, they had this uh, left, right, left, right, left, right. <laughs> so even when they, even when they, they, they had uh, intuitions and knowledge that the war could not be won, they, 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 they didn't have any air power after uh, 1944, in the midst of 1944. And so after the, after the Normandy landing, as, our, as the troop, as American and uh, uh, Western forces were heading east, um, they were constantly getting strafed and bombed, and they had no power to overcome that. And they, they sh- the, 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 many of them understood, without air power, we cannot win the war. But they just kept doing the things that they were doing. They just kept going forward. They, the one, one of the German generals, as, they, as he was repeat, as retreating from the Soviets, on the, or the Russians on the east, he, uh, he, about 20 miles ahead of the Russian advance, he was buying property, like in Poland or somewhere, somewhere like that, but for after the war so that he'd have a, he'd have a nice place to live there. <laughs> and, then, and it was just totally crazy. Some of the stuff they did. Well, one of the German generals uh, was marching. He'd go back through, and he would. His question was to the if you were a commander, he'd say, "How many men have you hung today?" He had a certain quota in his mind that you that you had to hang a certain number of traitors each day in order to be an effective general. And can you imagine the kind of idiocy that this uh, that this adds up to? Um, the, the the Germans, uh, the German soldiers, that when they got into Russia, they'd see the homes of the Russians, and they think, how can how can these people even be in the war? These people were peasants. They they, they had their homes in the in the forests around Stalingrad, uh, had earthen floor. They didn't have they, compared to the German homes back in the the homeland there. They were nothing. But you see, these rough hewn Russian peasants. They did know how to shoot a gun, <laughs> and there were a lot of them. And so, uh, they, but the, the the German high command—they were so brilliant in so many ways. And yet, they—the they, one thing that they understood was just go forward. Don't really evaluate the big picture. Don't really think about your life. Don't think about Jesus Christ. What what did Jesus Christ have to do with this war? Nothing, you know. We march left, right, left, right, we go forward. We have great strategy. We will win. No, you will lose. They could not, they could not grasp uh, the, the bigger picture. And, and so um, I, I couldn't help as I listened to this man talk. Uh, his, name, his name is Robert uh, Sitting, C-I-T-I-N-G. He's just written a book on this area, and I uh, heard him speak. He was very, very, very intelligent man. I, I appreciated what he was saying, but I couldn't help thinking. I wonder if he transposed any of these thoughts about Germany to modern America, because we have the same kinds of problems. We have this here. This our our whole establishment political circle. They're involved in groupthink too. And they just can't break out of the box. 
because I'm afraid most of them don't know Jesus Christ. And he has not given them that capacity to think for themselves just a little bit. Our, our goal as Christians today <clears throat> is to know Christ, to be able to apply the greater themes of the Bible to our lives and to the culture in which we live, to our political lives, to our scientific lives. Just because somebody is really, really intelligent, we need to, we need to get schooled, we need to learn, but at the same time we need to go to the school of Christ and learn there. Or all this learning will 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 be will will end up being nothing. The Germans, as a people, were probably the preeminent scholars of the 20th century, and yet they had they they caused two world wars, millions of deaths, which, as the historians look at it, were filled with stupidities. God can take us, brothers and sisters, and he can make us dance like dolls on strings. He can make us dance like this. He can make us do the most foolish things in the world, all while we are spouting intelligent things in one sphere, but absolutely idiotic things in many of the most important spheres. What is right and wrong? Who, who is God? Who should we love? How should we, how should we direct our lives? If you understand the preeminence of Christ, as Paul is espousing it here, that he was speaking to a pagan city. They did not know these things. But he was pointing them to the Old Testament. He was pointing them to the other scriptures of God so that the people of Colossae, this pagan city, some Jews lived there, some synagogue was there, but there were many pagans, best of the Greco-Roman world, you know, the intelligent people of the ancient world. But they needed to know about the preeminence of Christ. And so Paul belabored that point here in writing to them that they might have a future to themselves. The future is Christ. Let us give ourselves to him. Let's pray. Our Father and our God, we pray that we might gain from Paul's brilliance we see his brilliance from the, his Greek grammar, the way he expressed himself, his amazing theology where he could weave the ideas of theology together in such a, an amazing uh, weave that uh, just astounds us. And yet he, he knew the, the basics and gave them to the church of the Lord Jesus Christ, that the church might be the agency of these things as it went to other pagan parts of the world and other, other pagan times and epics and preach to them the gospel of Jesus Christ. Help us, O Lord, to get this straight in our lives today that the most important thing we are to learn is that Jesus is the Christ. Who do men say that I am? He asked. Peter said, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. Blessed art thou, Simon Barjona, said Jesus, for heaven and earth has not revealed this to you, but my Father in heaven. Amen. <clears throat>